From Relay FM, this is Connected, episode number 34. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Igloo, an internet you'll actually like. One password from Agile Bits. Put passwords in their place and Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm back and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, buddy. Welcome, uh, welcome back to the show. Happy to be here. It's nice to be back with you guys. I'm Mr. Federico Vatici. Hello, sir. How are you? Bentornato, Mike. Ah, si, si, Federico. <laughs> you don't even know what I said. <laughs> well, I said yes, <laughs> just... yes, anyway. Yeah, that sounds sounds uh, accurate. <laughs> uh, how are you, Michael? I'm very well. I'm uh, I'm a little bit discombobulated right now because uh, I came home from my, my two-week trip today. This is the third show I've recorded. Uh, I don't... The, the, the schedule's all over the place. I don't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm happy to be here. Are you at your own computer, Mike? I am. I am. And okay. it has a couple more stickers. So that's always good. Can you even put more stickers? Yeah. He layers and overlaps. <laughs> wow. You have to. Eventually, you run out of space. Okay. I think I need a 17-inch, like, they just don't... so I can put the stickers on. Mm, technically, they don't make those anymore well but everybody knows steven you can buy old computers you know really just made steven sad i'm gonna write that i'm gonna write that down that you apparently can buy old computers and i'm gonna look into this for next time where can i find these computers of old uh my house (laughs) come on over (laughs) i got them all here buddy yeah we uh we we spoke about that on analog this week or i guess last week depending on how time works and so I, i sent casey my text file of the collection and uh I think it. I think it surprised him how many how many things are in there. I enjoyed. The, I enjoyed listening to Connected this week. That was a lot of fun. Stephen, have you ever thought about making a museum out of your house for well, people to come in and visit and view old Macs? I mean, the problem is that there's also people in my house, and so like, what do I do with them when the museum's open? You can you can put them to work. Inside yeah. the house, which is now a museum. It's fine. I do have a like a exterior garage workshop that I could turn into a museum, or I could put the family out there and turn the house into a museum. Both really good ideas. Yeah. Good ideas. Um, Mike, if someone wanted to find that episode of Analog or any of the links that we we're about to discuss, how would they go about that? Oh, you threw me for a curveball there. I didn't know what URL I needed to read. Um, the the URLs that you will need for this episode of Connected are at relay.fm slash connected slash 34, or preferably in your uh, podcast app of choice. You should mention, Mike, that these links cannot be opened on an Apple Watch because there's no web browser. Interesting. Well, I, I feel mean, like it's an important thing to say. That is That is very important. You cannot open those links in the non-existent web browser on the Apple Watch. So we should do... We should do follow-up. 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 Up up first, the... Mike's stuck. (laughs) Up first, the limited edition connected t-shirt is about to become really limited edition because uh, as I am saying this, there are three days and five hours left to purchase the uh, pretty awesome connected shirt. So you should go check that out if you haven't uh, ordered one. There'll be an image in the show notes. Um, I got an email last week, so I don't know if Federico or Mike, you saw that. In the show notes, I had that the mock-up from Frank that had the guy with like muscular tattooed arms. Mm-hmm. And several people asked if that were you, Mike. So I think people think that you have like manly tattooed arms, which is cool. 
Yep. Uh, one person actually just said to me, did you trim your beard? Like that was all that they said. And I, I found that quite interesting. I like that. I like that people think that I am both one muscular and two tattooed. Yeah, which... um, I'm neither. <laughs> I don't want to... Uh, <laughs> I'm tattooed, but not that... Not that uh, <laughs> Not that in depth, but I mean, I I don't think people were trolling. I think at least the one email that I'm thinking of was, I think, serious. Um, I said, no, you know, it's just a, a mock-up. But um, but if you buy the shirt, you will be muscular and attractive like our model. So, do we know who that is? Maybe it's Frank. Should Maybe we invite him on on the show? The muscular Talk- tattoo guy. Yeah, sure. It's Brett Kelly. Up first in follow-up, we have more on weird internet devices. So we've talked about this the last couple of weeks. We need to stop. This yes. needs to be the last yeah. time or we end up with the show notes thing again. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> this is the last this time is we awesome. talk about Teletext. No, please don't make it a last <laughs> so, time. So <laughs> keep sending these devices. So, uh, this one, uh, uh, listener uh, Axel wrote in. His dad was an IBM employee uh, or their dad. I don't, I don't know what gender... Is appropriate here. Um, but basically, this is a computer modem and a 10-inch black and white CRT screen. And so there's a, there's a picture of this uh, in a Wikipedia article that's not in English, but um, it looks kind of like an old computer with a telephone on top, which is, quite frankly, adorable. Awesome. Amazing. I mean, how many adjectives do we need for the teleguide? It, I, I mean, thank you. Thank you, Axel, for dropping knowledge on the show. Really, I mean, I I don't know what it, what this Wikipedia page page is saying. Um, I see know? IBM a couple times, so. But it, it seems accurate. I mean, based on the photos, like it seems, you know, like a great device. Can you can you imagine working at this workstation doing all the business oh, yeah. here? And if you get a phone call, you just pick the phone right <laughs> up, like no problem. <laughs> So <laughs> I'm just at my, my, my computer right now, buddy. How can I help? Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, can you look at this for me? Yes, I can. I definitely can. Because you know what? You've called me on my teleguide. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is so much better than when you're using an iPhone, like you're doing something, you're checking Twitter, and then you get a phone call. So you got to, you know, you got to stop looking at Twitter. On this thing, you could look at, um, I'm guessing, some kind of command line and also talk on the phone. Yeah, I mean, Can that's you imagine amazing. how much better I our podcast why, would be know, if we could all just talk to each other real, like <laughs> real innovation stopped with the teleguide, <laughs> which is sad. Really so sad. while we're speaking about phones and computers, um, Mike, it turns out, is right this year. So there, there's a whole list of uh, links in here, one from Marco, one from me, one from our friends at the Hello Internet uh, podcasts and one from Jason at Six Colors, basically saying, for the most part, except for Jason, that Mike was right. The Six Plus has a lot to offer. So, um, spoiler for my post, I ended up, I had a Six Plus, if you guys remember, that I sort of had as a loner. That went back and I missed it. And so I bought one, like mid upgrade cycle, which is silly and foolish, but it was sort of a um, you only live once type moment. Uh, I think, Federico, I was texting you from, like, the parking lot of the Verizon store. Like, I'm getting ready to do this. Mm-hmm. If you're going to stop me, now's the time, and you didn't stop me. So He didn't text me because yeah. he knows I would have stopped him. I think I was sleeping. Like, I, I, I told Stephen not to do it. Even though I love the 6 Plus, I just think it's so close. But I'm so happy that you did it because Plus Club is awesome, and we're happy to have you uh, in Plus Club. 
Yeah. I still haven't published my article. It's I think it's coming real soon, but I'll, I I chose to take my time, you know. I like to do things slow and I think it can it's coming up better in in the end. If I, I mean if I if I had published my piece like 3 weeks ago, um I think I gained some sort of new perspective on the device, uh, which I think is ultimately beneficial to the article. So, I'm, you know, as usual, I'm kind of the last <laughs> one to, <laughs> to write about this stuff. Um, but I hope it'll be it'll be okay in the end. So uh, the the posts and well, the the links that we've got are, are pretty good in general. So Stephen is you know categorically saying that I'm right. Um, CGP Grey and Hello Internet said that I was right, which was fantastic. I very much enjoyed listening to that. Uh, Marco seems to be a little bit more on the fence, but I think leaning into Plus Club territory. Um, and Jason mm-hmm. just flat out, I, I'm very sad. He was just like, no, I love my six. But what I like about Jason's article is that he used some of my crazy theories that I have. Uh, so I was happy with that. Because I don't know if you guys have noticed this, um, but I have found the camera on the 6 Plus to be the buggiest uh, part of the phone. Uh, sometimes the camera crashes when I take photos. Uh, sometimes it just do- will not take pictures. Um, no, you, no. You haven't had me. that? Not at all. Okay. I have to say, this hasn't always been the way for me. It, it This has gotten worse over time. Um, and my, uh, my theory about this, because um, Jason's seen it, I think that... Uh, Marco said that he'd had seen some issues of it as well. My theory is that there's something in the optical image stabilization. There's like a bug in there and it maybe isn't recognized so quickly or it hasn't been recognized because a lot of engineers in Apple aren't actually using the 6 Plus. So they're not recognizing the bug. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've seen it a couple of times. My thought was that you know the 6 plus is is more ram constrained than the 6 cuz of the bigger display and it's got to do more and that you know maybe it's just taking reaching for memory that's not available at the moment but um i've seen it from time to time definitely nothing consistent though um but uh, i guess we'll see if it gets worse over time yeah so there you go uh i'm i love that this is a thing that is happening that like people are talking about the plus again like seriously i think it's fantastic and because I, I, you know, as as the two of you really, really believe that this is the superior device. Like I just categorically think that this is the better phone. Um, and and I'm uh, this for me. That's based on like a bias because I've not actually used a six, but you both have, and you've both switched. So that like vindicates my feeling. How um, does it feel, Mike, to be a pioneer? It feels pretty good, you know, because it's one of those things like I guess that in our in our little world, I was the one, you know, everyone was laughing at me and I was like, no, no, guys, seriously, trust me. And it's taken a while, but uh, but you, you've ended up coming around to my way of thinking, which is great. I am a pioneer. I do feel like a pioneer, Federico. It's a really great way of describing my current mental. Uh, you're you're kind of like the, the Harry Potter of uh, big phones. Ah, you're kind of ruining it for me now. You're the chosen uh, one. Oh, I like that again. I liked I like Pioneer. I like Chosen One. I didn't like Harry Potter of big phones. That 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 of of the three that was. <laughs> what do you like favorite. Harry Potter? What's I like Harry Potter. About? I just don't want to be called the Harry Potter of big phones. <laughs> it's not. It's just, it just doesn't doesn't sit very highly. 
I would explain the weird scar on your head. So. It, it would indeed. <laughs> I dropped a phone on my face. And then that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. Right, let's take a quick break. We have so much to talk about today. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about 1Password from Agile Bits. I love these guys. I love this app. And this is one of those things this week where I've been off and we've had 1Password. I've been listening to all the great spots that everyone's been reading and I was waiting to do one. I'm happy that I can read a, a, an ad for 1Password right now. For everyone listening to this show, if for some reason you haven't got 1Password, you need to just pause this just pause right now, pause where you are, go get 1Password. It is an essential piece of software. In the digital world that we live in now, it can be way too easy to just use the same password over and over again because everything, you need to have password, you have user accounts for every service that you use, every website you have to have them. And it's way too easy to just use one, like just use one word or maybe just change the number every time. But this is such a bad idea because sites get compromised, they get hacked. Even if you are super secret about your password, there's nothing that like can stop these sites from getting hacked and your your information getting leaked all over the place. And then if you have just you just use one word for all of the passwords of all of your sites, you know, that you that you go onto and that you sign up for, people can just get in and they can just go crazy and that's when bad stuff happens. But this is why one password from Agile Bits is amazing. People that use one password do not have to worry about this kind of stuff. One password is an app that is available for the Mac, iOS, Android and Windows and it will also help you create these super strong passwords as well as keeping them safe for you. They're all stored in an encrypted file on your device that you can sync via Dropbox, iCloud or locally via Wi-Fi sync if you want to be super, super secret about it all. This keeps all of your passwords with you wherever you go and the only way that you can get to them is with your secret master password. This is like a like a sentence or a couple of words that you put together and you put that in and that's your master password that unlocks your vault of where all your passwords are saved. None of this information is stored on a web server anywhere. This is just your password to unlock your app and you can save it into Dropbox and it's super encrypted and it keeps all of your stuff safe. 1Password makes it easy to get secure online. They can save you a ton of time with all this sort of stuff. If you thought it was maybe I don't know, more simple to just type in 12345678 for your password everywhere, you're still typing in those numbers or those letters every single time. But with 1Password, you can get one-click logons, which is really great. You have all these great menu bar apps and you have great browser extensions. It's just super fantastic. They have great login creators in the iOS versions that can help you just create full-on logins for popular websites. They have TOTP, which is time-based one-time passwords, which is an extra layer of two-step security that many services are now employing. 1Password has added it in. I really love this app. If for some reason you aren't using it, you really should change that right now. Go to agilebits.com slash 1Password. That's A-G-I-L-E-B-I-T-S dot com slash O-N-E password, 1Password, to find out more. And you can find 1Password as well on your app store of choice. Thank you so much to Agile Bits and 1Password for supporting this episode. I love this app. I think you will too. Put passwords in their place with 1Password. Topic. It was going to be topic zero, but then it sort of exploded. Mm -hmm. Uh, Topic one this week is the new MacBook. So reviews dropped today. Uh, Mike, you just got off the air with Jason doing a special episode of Upgrade about Mm -hmm. the MacBook. Um, he has a review on Macworld and then like a commentary on his site. Um, there's uh, a link to the Verge review, which includes a pretty nice video. You can actually see and actually we're going to get to it, but you can hear the MacBook where the keyboard sounds. And then there's a Wired um, review as well. So, 
you know, it's it's kind of funny. Like yesterday, we're obviously going to get to the watch, but yesterday was watch day, and today's like, oh yeah, the MacBook is real too. Don't forget about me. But um, what uh, what are y'all's uh, impressions from starting to see people's uh, reviews of this thing? I'll let Mike go first. Uh, I think it it looks pretty, um, and there are many things about the device that are interesting for me. I love the size of the screen in a body that's smaller than the 11 inch, right? That is such an appealing idea. And as like as a portable machine, it sounds fantastic. But the kind of overall feeling that I've got, especially from talking to Jason, is it's kind of like, nah. You know, like there are good things about it. Like there there are some really nice things about it. But there are also some things about it that kind of suck. Like Jason hates the keyboard, um, which I'm, I'm interested to try out. But it's you know the 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 one USB thing still seems a bit like ah, it just seems like such a pain. Like in Jason's review, he he spoke about like trying to use Migration Assistant, and he had like get like two dongles and a Ethernet cable to try and use Migration Assistant, and it's like I just it just seems frustrating. And and I you know I don't really have a desire for this lap for a, for a different laptop. My laptop's fine. I I love it. I don't need a second laptop. Like it's just not something that I require. I can see why it would be a good machine for a bunch of people, but the thing is it's just not the machine for me. Uh but I can appreciate why some people might like it. It's just not something that I'm running out to buy. So for me, it is a little uh complicated because I I am in the market for a new Mac. Because obvious reasons. I own a 2011 MacBook Air and I want to buy a new Mac, but more importantly, I I need to buy a new Mac because it's been, I'm guessing, more than a year at this point that my MacBook is missing the E key (laughs) on my keyboard. Um, And I didn't bother uh, fixing it or taking it to the Apple Store because I know I will have to pay and I'm just using my MacBook twice a week to record two shows with you guys. And so I, it's just there, you know. And I know that eventually it is going to die. It is going to, you know, maybe I will miss more keys or maybe the trackpad will start having some kind of issue. So I know that I need to buy a new Mac because, I mean, even if only twice a week, I still need a Mac because, you know, I I cannot record shows on the on the iPad. And I don't know, maybe... There's those just couple of tasks that I need to do on a Mac, just occasionally. Doesn't happen very often lately, but it still happens. Maybe I need to log into my dumb uh, bank website that doesn't allow me to, I don't know, print a PDF on my on iOS. I don't know, but it still happens occasionally. So I need a Mac, even if you know for short amounts of time. And this MacBook could be the kind of Mac that I like because it's kind of like an iPad in the sense that it's really light and it cuts down all the power user features. You know, I don't need ports. I don't need external displays. I don't need, I don't know, fusion drives and that kind of complex stuff that you get on more serious Macs. Um, The problem is that, actually two problems. One is not, it is not exactly cheap. But I could, you know, I could save a little and then get this MacBook. The problem is that I don't want to get the first generation of this MacBook. Because if the MacBook Air is of an indication, 
I need to wait for the second or third revision. So because I'm not the kind of guy who needs a Mac on a daily basis, and I'm not the kind of guy who wants to buy a Mac every year, like I buy an iPhone or an iPad every year, I don't want to upgrade my Mac on, you know, next year, if I buy this MacBook this year. So I want to make sure that the next MacBook I'm buying is, in a way, future-proof. I want to make sure that in four years or five years from now, it is still the MacBook I can use. So I'm really, I'm really torn here, because I, I want to use this MacBook, the new MacBook, because I, I love the idea of first touch, I love the extreme portability, I love the retina display, but I also kind of... I'm concerned because I'm wondering if I wait until next year, if I really make my MacBook Air die eventually of a slow and progressive death, (laughs) if I just wait until next year, and if I wait until the second generation of the new MacBook, will I be in a better position five years from now? That's my I, If I was you, I would wait until the Airs get a rev and get one of those. I agree. Because mm. I think I think that the the MacBook, that MacBook, like the the power that you'll get in there, will not be good for you in a couple of years' time. Like but will I get a will I get a Retina display on the new MacBook Airs? Eventually, because I really want maybe. Yeah, I don't. I don't see. I don't wanna. I don't wanna have yeah, but the eventually. Then you <laughs> I would expect. I would expect you would get a Retina display on a MacBook Air sooner than you would get the new MacBook. In a sort in in a, in a power requirement that you would would need. I mean, so uh, mm. a couple of things, and we'll, we'll make it back to the reviews in a second. But you you are always going to play the eventual game, uh, buying, especially from Apple. It's just kind of the way that that it works. Oh, I'm gonna wait till they hit one gigahertz. Oh, I'm gonna wait till they switch to Intel. Oh, I'm gonna wait until they go to SSD. Like you're always waiting. So. Will the MacBook Air ever get random displays? I don't know. My, my thought is the MacBook Air line will actually probably go away or, or somehow be something different than it is today, you know, long term. The way I view it is like, if you need a machine today, say that MacBook Air finally dies tonight when we're done. No, it doesn't die tonight. Come on. But say, just say that it does. Or it dies. It say it dies tomorrow. <laughs> no. Um, what What is... I want them. <laughs> no, I refuse. It's a hypothetical. If when your computer dies, what do you buy? And I I agree with Mike that something like a base model 13-inch MacBook Air might be a better fit for you uh than the MacBook. Clearly the MacBook is driven to somebody who is super portable and is space constrained, you know, in multiple ways and and what they carry, maybe where they use the computer. Um, that's really, you know, mm. who comes to mind for me. Someone who's on the road, you know, for their job day in and day out, you know, on airplanes, in cars, etc. For that sort of usage, I think the MacBook makes a lot of sense. It's got pretty good battery life. It's, you know, physically very small, very light. And is, you know, like in the in the Verge article, like, dude is just like walking down the street carrying it under his arm. Like somebody might carry a, a, a folder or an iPad. Um, I think, Carrying a, a laptop under your arm in New York City is probably asking for trouble, but they didn't ask me. So I think the MacBook Air is probably still, for the average user or you know the slightly above average user, is still the the you know the sub fifteen hundred dollar notebook to buy. Will you know? Will the MacBook improve power wise? I think it will. I don't think we're ever going to see a second port on the thing. Like I just you know people are like oh they're going to add a second port next year. I 
really don't think they will. I think that they've made a statement with this machine. Hmm. And yes, the MacBook Air, you know, so the Mac, the original MacBook Air, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, came out one USB port, uh, micro DVI, and headphone jack. That was it. And then in 20, then to 2010 or 2011, whenever it was, they revved the MacBook Air, changed the form factor, added second, you know, more USB ports, ended up with Thunderbolt down the road, SD card slot. You know, the MacBook Air became more. But in that transition, the MacBook Air went from the high end of the line, it was very expensive, to the low end overnight. So the MacBook Air kind of became the default machine for a lot of people. And I don't see the MacBook doing that. The MacBook already is, you know, pretty close to the bottom of the line price-wise. It competes with the MacBook Air at a few at a few points. Um, and it's, you know, I really think they're staging it as a third line, at least for the, the next couple of years. So I, I agree with you that buying a MacBook today for most people isn't a good answer, but I don't know that the answer is going to become more clear in two years. Like I, I just don't see where they, where that ends up. See, I really, I, I'm really sure about this. My next MacBook is going to have a retina display. There's no way I'm Do buying... you have to get a laptop? Well, for the shows, I do. What if I'm on vacation no, no, but... and I need to record a show? Oh, right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Do then. I just take a Mac Mini with no, me? No, I, I forgot that you might that sometimes you record from remote locations. Because yeah. I was wondering, because you don't need portability in most instances, like many people do, because you have that sewn up already, you know? But I get what you mean. Mm-hmm. Like, sometimes you do record from, from other places. Like the bathroom. Yeah. And there's no way I'm, I'm, not, I'm getting a lower-resolution display again. Yeah. So... Hey, I don't know. Hey. I don't want to get a MacBook Pro. I, I was because just it's about to say <laughs> it's it is it is wasted on me. I don't need a MacBook yeah. Pro, and I don't want an, a MacBook Air if it doesn't have a high resolution display. So either I wait or I get a MacBook and I'm gonna regret it for the next five years, or again I keep using the MacBook Air and I keep torturing the MacBook Air and watching it die slowly. <laughs> oh Statistically, and see that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wait here, and you know, for the day when eventually the MacBook will say goodbye, and I'll be like, okay, whatever, I'm getting a MacBook because it's enough, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of sad when you think about it. It is a little bit. Um, I mean, I've seen pictures of that thing. It's it's in pretty sorry shape, but. Um, <laughs> You know, but, you know, even going back second, and we've talked about this at length, but, you know, your use cases for the Mac of restoring iOS devices and recording podcasts and doing those things, you know, it's, it's, you are closer to being able to use a MacBook than someone like I am, where I have a MacBook Pro and it's plugged into all sorts of crazy things all day, every day. It is a, for the most part, a desktop replacement. And yes, right now I'm using it in a dark room with a microphone hooked up to it and power, but you know, I drive external displays and I have external drives and all this stuff, you know, the majority of the time. So you're closer, I think, than than Mike or I. But, you know, even hearing you say, well, it's not quite enough computer, you know, it, it, I'm going to run into these limitations. Um, and that's really interesting. I th- really think that paints the picture of who it is for. It's, you know, for people who don't even do as many things with the Mac as you do. I um, think that, like, the MacBook would be perfect for Federico right now. But I don't think it would last him four or five years. I think that's the only problem. Otherwise, I would say I think you should get yep. it. But if part of it is you want to have a machine for another four or five years, 
I I don't know if if I if this is the right one then. Yep. That's the you know, problem. That, that's my only thing. It's like I don't that that machine is going to be really really hurting in in a couple of years time. Um but it's like it, it would depend on what happens with the next rev, rev of all of those machines. So maybe you wait another year if you can. If poor little MacBook Air can. Yeah, do it. if the MacBook can. <laughs> I'm going to wait. Yeah. That's my strategy. Yeah. Um the the only other thing I wanted to touch in the reviews just a couple of comments that kind of everybody said is that, you know, it, it can get warm, but no one seemed to really think that it gets like scorching hot. That's kind of the beauty of the, um, of the Intel core N that they're using. That's, you know, very low power, very low heat output that it is truly silent. Cause there's no fan. There's no hard drive. It's, you know, very iPad like there's even, um, uh, Jason mentions it and it's in the verge video where you plug it in and it shows the iOS battery charging icon. Like, you know the the green yeah. filling up like very iPad like yeah and it chimes it like it it gives the little bling noise when you plug the wow yeah wow that's yeah so because because there's no there's no color anymore on the like there's no there's no indication right there's no visual indication that you're charging right. like that you'd see so now when you plug it in it makes the iOS noise of plugging right. in a there's charger. no LED for the uh, on the MagSafe because there's no MagSafe anymore. Uh, the other thing that I really walked away with, um, and this is from from Jason, um, saying that the he was not a fan of the keyboard that you know that is a compromise to make the computer thinner, and he hopes Apple views it as that, and that this keyboard doesn't spread to the other products. Although guys like like uh, Jim at the Loop and other reviewers like the keyboard, so you know I think it's definitely one going to be one of those personal things. I hope to go play with one in the coming weeks to. Type on one to see how it's like, but I do think that this keyboard is going to spread to other Macs. Um, I believe that Apple really thinks this is a superior keyboard for most people. You know? Yeah, and I, I'm all for you know. All I can think of, I think I said last week, is when I type on my MacBook Pro. All I can think about is how the keys are like flying off in different directions because that slow yep. motion video Apple did. Like it really ruined me. Uh, mentally in, in a way that is very deep and profound. Wow. But I I do want to try it out, you know, but even saying this, like I remember when they went to the chiclet style on the original MacBook and I was like, oh, I don't want this. Uh, the the MacBook Pro and the PowerBook, like those had superior keyboards and they change over time and you get used to it. So it's, you know, one of those things um, that I think even if they do change, people will get used to. I think that if Jason were to continue to use this system, he would get used to it. But uh, it's just something interesting that it seems to be a bigger difference than than maybe I thought it would be. And on the Verge video, I and mean, it's obviously it's mic'd. It's not a loud. It's not loud like a mechanical keyboard, but it sounds very different than my MacBook Pro, which even sounds different than the aluminum Bluetooth keyboard, which is what I use at my desk. And you know, sound a very different sound, which I also was not. I didn't really think about beforehand. So it's clearly a very different experience typing on this thing. And one, I hope that if it, if they do spread it to other devices, that it's that it's worth the uh, worth the adjustment. What's up with the obsession of some tech people with keyboards that make loud noises? Do they do they share their uh, apartments or houses with other people? Because yeah. anytime I'm <laughs> typing and I'm making loud noises, my you know my girlfriend or. Whoever's in the house complains because it's not a pleasant noise to hear. 
Right. So I typed on a, a Apple extended two keyboard for years up until I had a uh, surgery on my elbow um, a couple of years ago and I had to, to move away from it. And I, I typed on it because it was extremely comfortable for my hands and it was, I could be very fast on it. You know, the noise was like a nerdy bonus, mm. but it wasn't. So you liked it. I didn't. Yeah. I liked the way it felt and I liked the speed I could, I could do now. I, the, pressure required for the keys is too much for me um because i'm old and brittle but you know i think for a lot of people it's the feel and it's the the speed they can do the sound again is nice it is you know the apple two the apple extended two is quite loud and is definitely not the loudest thing on the market um and so if you're in an open office like i am at work or you know uh working at home on an imac or something and you have family members around they're gonna uh be driven insane slowly by your typing yeah I mean, I guess I just don't understand why would you purposefully go find a loud keyboard, you know? Yeah, I, I think mean, because it's a usually effect. you, <laughs> I guess usually you just try to find technology that is silent and quiet and doesn't make, you know, a big loud mess. And instead, right. there's some people who are kind of obsessed with. So, so maybe you could get, I don't know. So, so you get the MacBook and then you, you USB C to regular USB and USB to ADB, and you can use your Apple into two. What did you just say? MacBook. You have to what? jump through two, two adapters. You through. just said the alphabet. I'll uh, I'll find a picture for the show notes. <laughs> I hooked my extended two up to a uh, up to my iPad once, and it was awesome. And then I realized that I was a crazy yeah. person. You are. So, anything else on the MacBook? None of us are buying it. None of us seem super interested in it at this point. But we're gonna wait and see. Is that the consensus? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to take a look at it. I'm, I'm interested to see what the keyboard looks like and feels like. I'm interested to see what the machine looks like in general, but um, I don't I don't have a desire for a second laptop. Like, it's not something that I need, so it's just not right. my machine, you know? And it's not something that you're looking at. You have a Mac Pro, you have a MacBook Pro. You're not tempted to, to sell the MacBook Pro and move to this because of the tower, even? Uh, I... If I used my Mac Pro like most people use their Mac Pros, then I probably would think about it. But my Mac Pro is very much, it has its job that it does, and that's all it does, you know? Right. And everything else I do on my MacBook Pro. Gotcha. Okay. This week's episode of Connected is also brought to you by Igloo, the internet you'll actually like. Why invest in these fantastic, beautiful devices that we're talking about, like the MacBooks, you know, these great iPhone 6 Pluses, if you're going to just use them to stare an internet that looks like it was built in the 90s? Nobody wants to do that. That's horrible. And this is where Igloo comes in. Not only can Igloo be customized to look exactly like you want with all of the colors and logos and all the fun stuff that you have of your brand, but with its responsive design, it's automatically optimized to look fantastic on all of these devices. It's going to look great on your iPhone, it's going to look great on your Mac, it's going to look great on your iPad. And just like all your favorite Apple devices, Igloo helps you do your best work. You can share files, coordinate your calendars, provide status updates, and manage projects. Igloo is not just for your traditional internet stuff like HR policies and expense forms, although it of course can do all of those things. It's also 
there to help you work better with your colleagues within your teams wherever you are whenever you want igloo's latest upgrade viking revolves around documents and how you interact with them they've beefed up their document engine they've added the ability to track who has read critical information to keep everyone on the same page so it kind of you can go in and say like say you send a document out to everyone you don't need to run around the office and check if bob's read it and sally's read it it will just show you you can see little read receipts and it just shows you who's actually looked at the document it's really really cool if your company has a legacy intranet that looks like it was built in the 90s, you should be giving Igloo a try. Igloo understands that love doesn't just happen overnight, so this is why you can try out Igloo for free for any team of up to 10 people for as long as you want. Sign up right now at igloosoftware.com connected. Thank you so much to Igloo for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Just talk about the watch. Yeah, so uh, reviews came out. Uh, I I wasn't expecting reviews until like to maybe like today. It came out maybe slightly earlier than I would have expected. I, I don't know what the trend is on these things. I guess they just had too much going on at once, so they spread them out a bit, right? So they didn't want to have two days where they like one day where they had the embargoes lifts on a bunch of different projects. Um, and I've I haven't uh, having been away. I haven't delved into a lot of them. I have. Watched The Verge's review, and I have read uh, John Gruber's review. Mm. I, okay. I think I read like 10 of them yesterday. I'm kind of exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite? Huh, that's a good question. I really liked uh, John's on Daring Fireball. Um, I think it was a good mix of uh, like the perspective of a watch person and also the perspective of a tech guy you know i think it was a a good Mm -hmm. balance between the two um there's uh others that i that i linked on max stories that i really liked there was one from um just trying to remember the name of the website um liz plusser she writes for self magazine um she's um she basically gave uh, birth to a baby boy just five days before getting an Apple Watch review unit. So she's, uh, of course, she's kind of busy and she has a very active lifestyle. And I, I found her perspective really fascinating, you know, because she's using a watch as a new mom. And, you know, she's busy. She's busy. She always, you know, running around to, you know, for, for her family and to to read about the watch, you know, monitoring activity in this context was kind of different from the usual tech review. Um, also, I I didn't exactly. It's not that I didn't like it. I didn't fully get the the angle that the Verge was going for. Um, I liked the video. I think it was very well made, but I still kind of don't fully get what Nilay Patel was after. There was a part of the video that I really didn't like, which was when they were in the bar and he was talking mm-hmm. uh, with the, I think it was the editor-in-chief of Eat. Eater, yeah. Eater, that's it. And I didn't really understand what his point was. Like, I'm getting too many notifications, so it makes me realize that I miss people. Like, I didn't really understand. It's like, dude, that is it's totally within your control to, to to turn off what notifications you don't want. This is exactly exactly the point that I want to discuss with you guys. Um, and this is not, you know, just from The Verge, but I think The Verge uh, hits this point stronger than other uh, websites. Um, 
What's the deal with complaining about notifications when you are in control of notifications? So Nilai complains about the fact that DivWatch is constantly pinging with emails, texts, Slack updates, uh, Twitter. What he you know? says is Instagram likes. Like, you don't need exactly. push notifications for Instagram likes. Like- Especially because he's a tech guy and he knows how to fiddle around with settings. And also, I would argue that most people not necessarily tech people, They, at least from what I see from my friends and my family, they are not stupid. They are not the kind of people that you would imagine by reading, reading tech blogs or Twitter that they just say yes to everything. All the people I know, every dialogue they get, they think about it. They think about allowing notifications. They think about allowing location because they know that these dialogues can lead in the future to you know disturbing stuff like you get too many notifications or maybe an app is constantly checking your location for whatever reason. So... The, there is a fa- there is a basic error in believing that most people, and by most people I mean this average conf- consumer that is often you know referred to by the tech press as some kind of mythical beast. Uh, the, the average con- <laughs> consumer is not stupid, is not dumb, and doesn't say okay to everything. That said. You are in control of notifications. You can toggle them on and off. And I think that's really the point. What if you buy an Apple Watch and you and you were, start wearing the watch and you get no notifications be, because the default beha- behavior is, do, is to opt-in? So m- in that case, the, the, the experience for most people would be worse because you buy a watch... And you, you, you know, you start wearing the watch with some sort of expectation of the watch display notifications. But then, because the default behavior is opt-in, you need to go into an app and enable notifi- notifications. Instead, because the default behavior is to opt-out, you start getting notifications right away, and you can always turn them off. So I kind of don't understand the perspective of the Verge. It seems to me like it's the some kind of. A, syndrome from the average tech guy who enables all sorts of notifications with the difference that on the iPhone over the years they have learned how to deal with them. They they have learned how to ignore notifications on the iPhone. On the watch, because it's new, it's like, oh my god, I'm getting all these notifications. You already get all these notifications on your iPhone. So I do, I really I'm really puzzled yeah. by, by this angle. I really liked the overall the video. I thought it was really good. I thought some of the criticism that Nina had was really good. Um, and you know they're showing it like they were showing some just like weird like loading. Like everything seems like it's sort of slow and needed to load, right? So that yep. was like okay, that looked interesting. But he was trying to. I think he was trying to hit a philosophical point, which didn't really land for <laughs> no. me. Which no. was like. Now I see. Now I'm tapped on the wrist about his notifications. It makes me realize how much I ignore people. It's like, no, man. Like, yeah, just <laughs> it vibrates web. in your pocket already. Like, it's totally yeah. fine. Like, I, 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 I can see what he was. I can see he was a try. He was trying to get somewhere, but it just didn't land for me. And and that was that's my only criticism. In for what I thought was a good review, yeah. but I think yeah. it's I think it was a pretty big point he was trying yeah. to make. 
And again, I, I'm, I find it personally, now I don't want to criticize the way that The Verge assigns scores because they're still using a score-based system for their reviews. I don't want to criticize the way that they choose, you know, votes. Uh, but it seems to me a little strange that the Apple Watch gets a 7 and the Mo Motorola 360 gets an 8.1. Um, I, I don't know because I don't have a watch. Um, but again, it... It sounds like this aspect of the notifications, it had a big role in getting the score down. And I sort of don't understand because it, it again, feels to me like he's a tech guy with too many notifications, too many apps, and the watch makes him realize that he has too many apps and notifications. But that's not really a problem of the, of the watch. Maybe he should, you know, curate a little bit more the, the list of apps that send him notifications. There was one thing that that Neil I said that I thought was was really uh, was, I I really agreed with the fact that the watch doesn't come with a stand or or anything. It's yep. kind of just like here's a cable, go at it. Like it feels like there should be more in the box, like akin to what the you know your first iPod right it had a bunch of stuff in the box, um, and and I think that there should be something a little bit more like that this time just something basic even but it feels like just saying here's your cable here's your watch go at it does feel a bit yeah, yeah I, ag so, I agree with that yeah so a couple of things um i i too do not want to get into the why scoring things and reviews is a bad idea yep but i, th I would say in, in their defense that those devices came out at separate times and answer separate questions to separate markets i don't think they're a direct comparison anyways the I think you and I had a misunderstanding on Twitter because I think you were like, yeah, we get a final connected. And, um, you know, I agree with you that for most people, the experience of if notifications were opt-in, my watch isn't doing anything, and that's bad. Um, and I agree with you that anyone who has Instagram likes on, on their phone and pushed to their watch have no room to complain that they have too many notifications because that's a ridiculous notification to leave on, especially if you're popular. Uh, like I assume Neil Patel is on Instagram. What I think what he was driving at, and I, <clears throat> I think they exaggerate it to make the point, is that there is a social awkwardness around checking your watch. We spoke about this months ago on the show, where you know if I'm in a meeting and I look down at my watch, if anyone notices me doing that, they're going to think that I'm bored or that I'm trying to end the meeting or that you know I've double booked and I need to get somewhere. And it's generally perceived as something, as, as a rude gesture, uh, especially in like my world as meetings right now with work. So I think that's what he was driving toward. And I think they exaggerated it. Yeah. I mean, he said it. He said it. And right, I but agree I think with that. Like, I understand that point. It was the second half of that little skit that. that right. Oh, yeah. The whole me. thing was cheesy. But uh, I think they exaggerated it to make the point that. Uh, the way I view it and the way that, you know, we're going to talk about the apps in a second, the way I think about the watch more and more as pre-orders are just now a couple hours away is that I think my interaction with the watch and apps and notifications is going to be extremely limited. Like I really, depending on how, you know, depending on how fine grain the control is, I'm not going to have a lot of stuff hit my wrist. I already have most notifications on my phone turned off. Um, I have, you know, a lot of stuff to manually check and uh, emails aren't coming in and lighting up my screen all day long. And so uh, I think that if you're that sort of user where you already care about the notifications that come to your phone, 
I think the watch is going to be even more so. Like, I, I really want my watch to vibrate if I have a task due, an alarm, or my wife sends me a text. Like, very few things and very few people are going to have the right to make that thing go off, at least at first. And we'll see how, how disruptive it is. And I think the idea of you looking at your watch in a meeting, that being rude, is going to fade away very quickly because yep. people are going to have smart watches. I, I, was, I was about to make that. I was going to say that because I felt that from what John Gruber was saying as well. It's like, yeah, but it's just this is a march of change. Like looking at your phone while still can be a bit like, hey, you got the somewhere to be or whatever. It's still just something that people do and we all do it. So we kind of let it go. So it's going to take a little bit of time. But checking right. your, looking at your wrist, it's it's going to mean something new. Yeah, in, in because that's time. the that's the social behavior from the traditional watch kind of right. people. You right. check the watch because you need to check the time. Now you will check the watch to do all sorts of stuff. So it'll be different over time, I think. Right. And I think, you know, I think there'll be that awkward phase where, you know, if you were an early iPhone owner like I was, it was really awkward to have a have an iPhone at first. And I was very hesitant to pull it out not only because people would ask if that was the iPhone and want to see it, right? Like, and then you're drawing attention to yourself in a social scene that I don't want, at least, and that I don't want to be followed out and mugged by the guy at the other end of the bar. But uh, there's going to be that awkward phase, and I think it's going to be more pronounced than it was with a smartphone because, again, people are already doing thing on, doing things on their phones, right? All everyone sat in study hall and played and played Snake on their Nokia, right? Like this is the thing people did. So I think we'll see how that goes, and I do think there's going to be a very uh, awkward period for early adopters, not only socially, but, you know, um, the question of, well, why, you know, why is that any better? I had that conversation with a coworker just yesterday of some, some of us talking about the watch, several people at work are going to be up at 2 a.m. to order it. And she's like, well, why would you do that? You can just do stuff on your phone. And the explanation of, well, you know, you know, in theory, it'll mean less time on your phone because, it, you know, it's quick things and you can quickly check things and get back to your day. That didn't really register as like a problem or a solution to the problem that she didn't see existing. So I think there's going to be a lot of that, like you having to justify to people that you bought one, which is insane, right? Like you really shouldn't matter, but I think it will. It's like going back to 2007. Why do you need email exactly. on your phone? Exactly. You know, it's, was, the same, it's, it's all that idea, right? Just about to say that. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. We, we just, we see... Or either. even better, why would you need a, need a full web browser on your phone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, we, we either see the utility of it or we see, or we agree with what the the marketing message is, right? And when we see the marketing message, it's like, yeah, that resonates with me. I think I would get use out of that and then kind of move on from there. Like, And, and then eventually it ends up pulling pulling people along with everyone else you know yeah um so i thought i thought it'd be worthwhile to talk about the um what was my biggest depression and i think i think y'all's as well uh from chatting over the last couple of days of all of these reviews you know they all say battery life's pretty good you know you really got to push it to be out by the end of the day that's good stuff um but what ev- almost everyone said is that watch kit apps are slow especially when they're moving large amounts of data or location information from the phone to the watch. So to recap, you know, these apps, you know, on the 24th, you unbox your watch and you put Evernote and Overcast on it. Well, those aren't real apps. They're projections from the iPhone over Bluetooth and Wi-Fi 
to your device. So it's not native code. If the if the phone is gone, the watch is you know less useful. And that what we should have been realizing all along, and something that you know I didn't really think about too deeply until these reviews came out, is that that's a very slow way to do computing. It's it's happening remotely. It's transferring over wireless, which can have all sorts of issues, and the Wi-Fi hiccups, or you know your Bluetooth drops out. Like I get in my car, and once a week my car has just forgotten that my iPhone exists, and I have to go and repair it. Like that sort of stuff is going to hamper these watch kit apps because they're they're tied. They're completely dependent on the phone. And also, they're mostly images. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you're just pushing a slideshow. Um, and so, you know, the question is, and, and uh, one that I think will be answered over time is, is this going to hurt the watch's sort of initial launch? That are people going to download these apps with expectations that they will, you know, like if someone's going to buy an Apple Watch they're early on, they're probably nerdier than the average Joe. But most of them aren't in the world that we live in of like getting to talk to underscore last week about it, like the ins and outs of watch kit. Mm-hmm. And they're just going to think, Oh, you know, this thing has apps and are, are those people going to be disappointed or frustrated that these apps don't run the way that they think they should based on having an iPhone for seven years. I don't know if I that's going to be I think I will be like, <laughs> I think I'm going to be frustrated. Uh, I think that in the long run, watch kit apps will be remembered. Like we remember web apps on the, on the iPhone. Yeah. But it, yeah, you know, it's, for us, it's the for, simple analog to make between the two. I, I I agree with that. For the for the first year or for the first six months, I don't know. We will be annoyed by the limitations yeah. of the of the WatchKit apps. Will it be a problem? Like, will it actually damage the reputation of the watch and the software of the watch? I don't know, because I'm not a, you know. I'm not a genius. <laughs> I, I, I'm, sure. I'm guessing. I'm guessing that Apple will want developers to switch over to the native SDK uh, as soon as possible. So I wouldn't be surprised to, you know, the, the watch comes out in April, and in not even six months, you get the upgrade to the native SDK, and you get like a faster watch, uh, you know, magically almost just with software updates. Um, so maybe this first six months will be annoying, but according to I think a couple of reviews, Apple is working on a on a on an update to make things a little faster at least. Um, but it's not available to reviewers right now, which would be you know definitely definitely welcome. And and you know they still have two weeks to get that rolled out, and you know yeah. maybe that you open the watch and it's got an update immediately, which is not not a great user experience. But they you know you can go buy a MacBook Pro that still comes with you know. Well, Ma- Mavericks on it. So the MacBooks, they're shipping with ten, ten two. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this ten, ten three is out now. Like it's yeah. Know. Well, I mean, you know, things happen. They put them in a box and then they ship them. So uh, native apps, I think, will be a big part of it. That you know, you're not relying on the phone to beam images over a wireless internet connection, which sounds like something out of the future, but running locally on the S one chipset will definitely be faster. I mean, there's no way that it couldn't be, really. Um, but, you know, I do have that thought in the back of my mind that if we're going to be, you know, we're going to be annoyed, but we're going to know why, and we're going to know that there's a future coming that could be better. And I just wonder about that, those other early adopters who might not be in following the stuff as closely if they're going to be, you know, unaware that that's going on. And just, Just think about this. Most people, uh, or maybe not most people, millions of people will want an Apple Watch 
for the holiday season. And by you know, by by Thanksgiving time or Christmas time, the watch will likely have a native SDK. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. Assumedly, we'll see it this summer. Uh, and also, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Apple called that like Apple Watch OS two or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. and so people, I think people know that Apple's products get better generation after generation. So it's like. People said, oh, the first one's rubbish, but the next one will probably be better because the first one's really slow. All the apps are really slow. And, and you know, but I'll be they're releasing OS 2 and it sounds like they've, they've sped all the apps up. Right. Anyway, I, I get, I totally get your point, but I think now, by now, people are accustomed to the fact that Apple's products get better over time. Right. So and, I, I, this I, is I think not people going might to... just, they might just think that's going to be the case anyway. And this is not going to help that, that, thought process or like I hear it so many times like you hear it when the Retina iMac comes out of oh don't buy a Gen 1 Apple product like I hear that from like normal non-nerdy people who just you know casually follow the company like oh don't buy the first one you know also from me just a few minutes ago also from Federico just a couple (laughs) minutes ago on the show on this show yes a premier Apple podcast and yes we're giving you the same advice I'm sorry everyone no no but I'm not saying that's a right or wrong assumption there are definitely cases where i think that's true like i even thought it and i may have even said it about the retina imac of like ah, you know the first retina max have always been a little weird like that first 15 inch you know had image retention and issues and but this is definitely not going to help that like if apple is not doing anything to shake that uh that philosophy that people have but at the same time like this is the way technology works that things evolve and things get out into the world and they get iterated on and, and improved on and you know are we going to see you know watch os 2.0 this summer with apps i think we will are we going to see a faster apple watch uh in the fall or early next year with a faster chipset better processor you know maybe that screen will be laminated that i'm not so sure about but i do think that there is a you know there's a price to pay to be an early adopter that you know we're going to talk about it but at least one of us is going to be up the, tonight or you know tomorrow morning ordering one of these things and there's always hmm. a cost associated with that um but I, I agree with you mike i think it i think it'll be frustrating uh for us who know that a brighter future is around the corner but i think too it, it might help balance you know the i don't want to do a lot of stuff on this thing you know and so maybe that the the awkwardness of watch kit will sort of like temper what I want to do with it day to day. So uh, it's not all negative, I don't think. It's just, I think there's going to be a perception issue with some users that Apple's going to have to deal with. But the real question is, can we have a funeral for Mike's Pebble? Yes. <laughs> poor little guy. He has a little Relay FM watch face on him, you know? He's so cool. I'm going to miss him. Because you know what? I mean, and this is one of those things, like in reading Gruber's review, and he talks about like looking down and seeing the time. I get that with the Pebble. Yeah, that right? worries me on the Apple Watch. Every time I look at the Pebble, I see the current time. Like, it illuminates if I raise my wrist, but you don't always need it to illuminate. That is going to be really frustrating. Like, I can feel that I'm going to be annoyed by that. Hmm. Serious question. Do you mm-hmm. guys keep a traditional uh, watch face or do you look at time as a digital clock? I like digital clocks. Okay. Same. I have uh, one Steven, of each. Steven, what, what about you? I have one <laughs> of each. Steven uses an old pocket watch. <laughs> so the watch I'm wearing today is a Casio calculator watch. 
So if oh. we need to do some math after the show, I can help us out. Excellent. Uh, we'll find a, sh- a link in the show notes. Um, the other watch I, I, w- I wear that's a little bit dressier is, is a mechanical watch. So it's you know self winding, and it's you know black face with you know sweeping hands, like not hmm. digital at all. Nothing is digital about that watch. There's not even a battery. So I, I like both as far as like what watch face I'm going to end up on the Apple Watch. I don't really know. Like, I like the idea that I could put my next calendar thing on there, but is that going to be helpful long term, or am I going to end up with something simple? Um, I'm really curious. I think I'm going to play a lot with. I think all of us will play a lot with watch faces on the Apple Watch until mm-hmm. we kind of see what feels good. Yeah, I just, I just, just thought you used a sundial instead of yeah. a clock. <laughs> so that's good to know. Thank you, Stephen. So it's yeah, you know. So we have talked about in the past what we would be ordering, and it sounds like some of us have changed our minds a little bit. So Federico, you sent us a, a very interesting screenshot in Slack <laughs> earlier. What what are you doing? <clears throat> okay, I, I feel like I need to prepare. Should we go for... back to the start of the, of this story, like to to what happened between me and you yesterday? Was it uh, yesterday or the day before yesterday? I think it was the uh, yesterday actually. So my plan was to. Um, ask Michael to buy an Apple Watch for me and, of course, from the UK and ship it to me, uh, to Italy. And according to rumors and now according to Apple, which has a press release out this morning, uh, there's going to be... uh, The Apple Watch is only going to be available from online stores and customers are limited to one watch per customer. At least that's what I heard. So, of course, we went through some kind of back and forth with Mike because he was like, I'm going to buy an Apple Watch for you and I'm going to ship it to you because it's my pleasure, mate. You know, all the kinds of things Mike says. (laughs) All the things he says. Yeah. And and I'm like, oh, thank you, Mike. I mean, that would be really awesome. You know, our kind of conversation. And then, of course, we realized that this wouldn't be possible. And so I made other plans. And... Oh, no. Yes. So I'm I'm gonna go with the conclusion first. I will wake up tomorrow morning at my local nine a.m. Actually, you know, a few minutes before that because I need to get to my computer, sip a cup of coffee, and just get ready. I will wake up at about eight eight forty five in the morning, and I will buy an Apple Watch from Germany. That's my plan. <laughs> I All will. Right. Uh, okay, so I have a friend. <laughs> I have a dear friend uh, in Germany, and thanks to this friend, I will be able to buy a watch, get the watch to my friend, and my friend will get the watch to me, and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, to receive the watch on the 24th, or maybe, you know, just instead of Friday, maybe on Monday, and it'll ship it to me, so I'm hoping that using the fastest uh, shipping option available, uh, I will have the Apple Watch by the week uh, after the launch. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, there'll be uh, a bit of a, a bit of a cost concern for shipments and stuff, uh, but that's a, that's a compromise I'm willing to, to accept. Uh, so don't, don't ask me about the technicalities of uh, my plan. Uh, but it's going. Cannot share them. It's going. It's going down tomorrow morning. Um, hopefully, the the. I'm just concerned that the Apple website will crash. App. I got get the app, man. You got to go for the 
Yeah, oh, that's see, that's a really nice. Yeah. Can I change? Can I change the country in the in the app? Uh, it's tied know. to your. So the the first question I have is that the Apple ID I use for iTunes has different billing than the Apple ID I'm going to use to order the watch, and so I've got to go in there and change my billing over because the business expense because the App Store <laughs> <laughs> the App Store uses the built-in like system. Uh, you know, Apple ID. I will say that if you, if you are going to buy, if you listen to this beforehand, the App Store holds up much better. The App Store app on iOS holds up much better than the website during these things. Um, I'll probably have both. It's going to be 2 a.m. for me, which is really disappointing. But I've done yeah, it for I'm, several. I'm going to be rolling multiple browsers. Like, yeah. it's going to be a party. Yeah. So, so Federico, which what's your final verdict on the model you're going to purchase? I'm gonna get an Apple Watch. Sport, space gray, with the black band. So, you, so that's a down from what you had said a yep. couple weeks ago, I believe. Why? Because I I read the reviews and I feel like again I'm gonna be that guy because it's a first generation product. Um, I feel like I wanna wait uh, at least until next year. Uh, before I drop that kind of money on the Apple Watch, uh, because you know the 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 one that I that I would want to wear on a daily basis would be the Apple Watch, so the steel one, uh, the space black with the link bracelet. Um, that's one that I want, but it'll be it'll be a thousand and five hundred euros. So you know that's quite a bit of money for me, and I feel like because of the Apple Watch is gonna get better. Um, I feel like uh, for this first generation to get accustomed to the watch, it is better for me to save a little money, get the basic Apple Watch, which according to the reviews is still very much a a fine watch, especially for physical activity, which is very important to me. Uh, So it's not like I'm getting some cheap watch that, you know, I really don't want to wear. So I'm getting a good watch, I'm saving a bit of money, and next year... Uh, I'll see if maybe I, I want to spend a little more, get a fancier, get a fancier watch with with an upgrade and and a, and a, you know. But I'm, I I want to wait, want to wait until next year, at least. Yeah, I think I think there are a lot of people in that situation where after seeing the reviews and after kind of thinking about it over, it might be uh, might be downgrading. But um, before I tell you that I'm doing the opposite, Mike, what a what's your plan? So I I have come to I had come to the decision this week that I was going to get the Apple Watch. Um, I I don't know what it was. I was just looking through them again. I was looking through them with my girlfriend, and we was we were looking at the bands and stuff like that. I was like, no, I think I'm going to go for the watch. Then I read the reviews, like Federica, and I was like, ah, I'm going to go back to sport. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to be going to my original plan. I'm going to be getting the sport. I'm going to be getting the blue Flora Mastema, Mastema, Mastema. Is that how uh, it said? It's something like that. It's something like that. I'm going to be getting the blue one. Uh, I I want the black strap. I think, but what I'm going to do, I'm going. To, but you can't get the black strap with the aluminium, the the the, the silver aluminium one, which mm-hmm. is what I prefer. Because uh, I still believe. I don't know why I believe this, but I still believe that the black one's going to chip like the five, like the iPhone five did. Yeah. The so the one uh, Federico is going to buy might be all banged up in a year. mm Hmm. Sorry, Federico, but that's just my my conspiracy theory. 
I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure they've got that sorted out by now, but I don't know. I just and plus I I can see why people would like it. I just want the silver one. I like the silver one. Um so I'm gonna get that one and then I'm gonna try and also tomorrow book uh an appointment at the store to try and hopefully go into a store and try one out before the show next week. That's my other plan. Um, is to make sure I can try and get down to the store and then when I'm at the store I'm going to choose what other band I want to buy because I, I would like to have one other band. Um, I'm leaning towards a level loop um, mm-hmm. but I want to take a look at those a little bit more. Gotcha. So, yeah, the 2am thing is going to be exciting. I I had I said on the show two weeks ago that I was going to do the same thing Federico is doing, the 42mm space grey aluminum black screen and I I have that fav- favorited or whatever it is in my account, but I also have favorited the the Apple Watch, the stainless steel with the black band. Um, just because I get more nervous about the front of that not being the sapphire cover. As someone who bangs their watch into things all day long, <laughs> I, I, I worry about the durability. It's a little bit more money. Uh, I understand that I will not get that money back out of it at the back end. Like I'm sure the uh, gazelle pricing on Apple watches, you know, like I, time will tell how that, how that market plays out. But I do, I do worry a, a little bit about the, um, about that cover glass. And so I, and I've heard, you know, a lot of people have the reviewers and, you know, people who have had time with them have said that the steel one is really nice and the weight is not, a whole lot more than than the uh, sport one, so we'll see what happens in the middle of the night. Uh, hopefully, I don't order both, but I, I, I'm leaning towards the the stainless steel with the black sport band. And and like you, Mike, will probably pick up a couple other bands down the road, like a a white one or a blue one or something to spice it up. Yeah, I, I'm think I'm thinking still that the the bands that we buy now will still be good in a while. Like that's just my my feeling. It seems pretty obvious, but it's just what I like to believe that the bands that we buy now we can use on the next maybe generation or two with the Apple Watch. I would hope so. You know, looking at them, even if that thing gets dramatically thinner, the way those grooves work, you know, are pretty independent of how thick the device is. So I would yeah. imagine that, you know, maybe in a couple of years. But you know, honestly, like as someone who's worn a watch pretty consistently, if you wear a watch every day, you got to replace the band eventually because yeah. it wears out or cracks or you know, so. I think that's reasonable, and the sport bands are, are not. Exp- I mean, all the bands are cheaper than I thought they would be, and the sport band is pretty affordable. So if you know you crack it or you know something happens to it and you need to replace it, it's definitely not the end of the world, especially if you you know buy the five hundred dollar watch. So yeah, we'll. Uh, I guess we'll, we'll report back. Up. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. Be awake. I think I'll be in the. Uh, maybe we'll open up the the relay that we'll be in IRC talking with people. So that's not a bad idea, actually. Uh, for, a second, live stream. for a second, for a second. The other night, I was like, we should live stream. But I was like, A, it's going to be 2 a.m. for me. Like, I don't want to be uh, talking to anyone at 2 a.m., and let alone, like, in a house with sleeping children. And, like, the idea quickly fell apart for me, for me live streaming, but I think we can hang out in the chat room. Yeah. Cool. Right. Um, we want to talk about the Steve Jobs book a bit. Uh, but before we do that, should we thank our third sponsor? Let's do it. Yeah. 
Connected this week is supported by Wealthfront, the automated investment service that makes it easy to invest your money the right way. Wealthfront software software manages your money using investment strategies that were previously only available to the wealthiest of investors. For just one quarter of the cost of using a traditional advisor, Wealthfront monitors your account 24-7, automatically rebalancing your portfolio, reinvesting dividends, and working to maximize your after-tax returns. Wealthfront is overseen by a team of investors investment experts, the same people who launched the index fund revolution and who've written some of the most important books in finance. In case you're still not convinced, you should know that Wealthfront manages over $2 billion in client assets and has saved millions of dollars on taxes for its clients. So with Wealthfront watching over your investments every day, what will you do with all of your extra time? Visit Wealthfront.com connected to get your first $10,000 managed for free. Wealthfront is an SEC registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are offered through Wealthfront Brokerage Corporation, member FINRA and SIPC. This is not a solicitation to buy or sell securities. Investing in securities involves risks and there is the possibility of losing money. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Please visit Wealthfront.com to read their full disclosure. Thank you so much to Wealthfront for the support of this week's show. So, becoming Steve Jobs. Uh, we got a couple links in the show notes. One to Amazon. If you haven't read Becoming Steve Jobs, um, I don't think we're going to spoil it in the... Well, we might. I would just proceed with caution. If we start getting spoil, spoilery, come back later. Um, but, so it's a book out. You can get it hardcover. I read it on the Kindle. Mike, you did an uh, audiobook. Um, yeah. Lots of uh, lots of fun ways to enjoy it. It's best, and I think my comments reflect um, things that I also heard in a podcast. So uh, Gruber interviewed the the two writers of the book. Uh, there's a link to that in the show notes as well as part of the uh, Apple Store Talks thing. My, part of the sort of thing that you did in London about becoming a professional podcaster's uh, mm-hmm. same type of thing, right? So, Which I think is really cool. I like that the stores are doing sort of uh, that creative type work again, which is a lot of fun. So instead of going through the book chronologically, what I've done is I've broken my thoughts uh, into topics, and we'll see how far we get. This might spill into next week because we're already over an hour in. But um, I, I kind of wanted to start with the the meta discussion of the book itself and the kind of the environment in which the book uh, exists. So... You know, Steve Jobs died, the Walter Isaacson book comes out. We all read it. Um, you know, it's, I don't even know how many pages that thing is. I've got the hardcover uh, version of it, and it's like I could use it to prop up a, like a car. I think it's crazy thick. And a lot of us walked away from that book saying that, you know, it's a real shame. This guy had uh, the blessing of Steve Jobs and his family to write the official biography, and he kind of blew it. And there's lots of reasons why you should definitely go check out Syracuse's hypercritical episodes about it. I re-listened to those in preparation for this. Um, and that book actually comes up in this book. So, so this, this becoming Steve jobs exists in a world post Isaacson where, you know what? The last Steve jobs book wasn't very good. Had a lot of things wrong with it. Really wasn't all that informative. It was basically just rewrites of all these other books. And this book steps into existence, knowing all of that. It's very aware of the world that it's in. In many ways, this book is is very strange, right? It's written by two journalists, uh, one of whom had deep access to Steve Jobs over the course of decades. Uh, And it's two guys. It's written in singular first person, which is strange. But it's 
it's definitely like aware that it's a Steve Jobs book, right? Like a, a, in a way that most books I've read are not. Um, you know, most biographies don't say I'm a biography. Like this book says I'm a book about Steve Jobs. So I, I like the fact that it's that it's written from a journalist perspective. That these guys had taped interviews, they had written interviews with Steve Jobs over the course of years. They lots of reference material. And not only like the the books that you think of, like Infinite Loop or um, uh, West of Eden, which are both uh, two great uh, books on Apple, but you know original source material. And then these guys go out and interview people. They interview some Apple people, interview ex-Apple people, stuff that Isaacson really never did much of. Isaacson basically just rewrote other books. But with that, you know, there's some there's some downsides. So there, there are technical errors throughout the book. Jason and John spoke about this on Upgrade. Um, the ones I just commented was like they they said there was a black eye book. They said that the iPhone three G had a faster processor than the iPhone. They said that the iPad two had a camera flash. Like I can forgive those things, but like if so, Mike. So Mike, if you write the next Steve Jobs book, you should hire a nerd to fact check it for you. Like just the technical stuff. Like you could have paid somebody fourteen dollars to read this thing and not said that there was a black eye book, but. People would have done it for free. Yeah. I even had the thought. So like I'm going through and like highlighting these things to my Kindle. I'm like, I just send me the transcript. Like I know this stuff by heart. We could have solved this problem for you. And it's not that it, it devalues the book in my eyes. I think historically it doesn't, it doesn't hurt the book as much as it hurts me as a pedantic, you know, every time Casey lists calls his iPad something silly, I die inside. But I think the general public, you know, is never never going to notice those things. But it is it does, you know, show a little bit of a crack in the way the book is written. Um, the other the other kind of meta problem I have with the book, and I want to see what you guys think about this because you guys are both most of the way through the the book, I believe, is that the sort of the the premise of the book, the thesis the book sets out to prove, is sort of twofold. One is that Steve Jobs, when he comes back to Apple, is a changed man from when he left Apple. That the Steve Jobs, the jerk, the guy who uh, fires people on a whim uh, in the in the 80s because of topography, that Steve Jobs is not the guy who comes back to Apple. And they, they sort of build a case for that, that it, it's weak in places. Um, but the second part of the premise is, okay, Jobs came back, he was different, but really, even the first Steve Jobs was not a bad guy, just maybe misunderstood. And you know, they, they they tell some stories of he goes to this meeting and like goes off on the on this nonprofit about marketing and then is crying in his car afterwards. And that like, yeah, that kind of shows that he he wasn't two dimensional in the fact that he was just angry all the time. But you, they don't really paint the picture of what they're trying to sell. They kind of just say that thing and then they move on. And and that's a problem in in any book, right? Like it, if you chase every rabbit hole in a book, your book is going to be 10,000 pages long. But if your core premise is to say Steve Jobs evolved over his lifetime and evolved over his career, you should paint that really clearly. And I think this book only does that about halfway. Um, what, Mike, you're further into it than Federico. Like, do, do you get that sense that that's what they're trying to say? Like as the meta point of the book? That like the the whole point is trying to say that he had a heart of gold. Like that's kind of what they're trying. I feel like they're just trying to get out. It's like he is a nice guy, and, and I'm not saying that he wasn't, but they they try and explain so many things that he does, and say yeah, but he learned later, and it's like okay, <laughs> but he still did this then. And I, 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 there there is this kind of like prevailing feeling in the book where they're trying to make the case that he was a better person 
than than people think he was. And in some instances, I actually think it it works. Like they made me think differently about Lisa, his his daughter, right? Where they were like, he was like in his early twenties. Guy didn't know what he was doing. He kind right. of got lost and made it. He did something stupid by trying to like distance himself from it. But he didn't know how to do with it. He was just a kid, and it was like. Do you know what? That is a good point. I'm not excusing him because it was terrible, but it, I've never heard it said that way before. Right, like, like, what would we do if we were 22 in that situation? Yeah. Right, like, oh, I was, but uh, <laughs> yeah, married with a baby. But um, <laughs> most people aren't, right? So, like, that's a really good example, Mike, of, you know, sort of putting people in Steve Jobs' shoes and, like, well, how would you react this way? How would you react if you had cancer? Would you tell people? Um, I love the Bob Iger story. Yes. Oh, yeah. We're gonna get oh. there. Um, the the sort of the the third meta points. We talk about technical issues. We talk about what the book is trying to say. Um, the third one is Apple's influence on the book. So leading up to it, you know, iBooks is tweeting about it. Eddie Q says, um, you know, this is a great book. Uh, here's a quote from Tim Cook. I don't know if you've heard of Tim Cook. He runs Apple now. Hmm. Um, this is a direct quote from the book. The picture of him isn't understood, says says Cook. I thought that I, the Isaacson book did him a tremendous disservice. It was just a rehash of a bunch of stuff that had already been said. It's focused on small parts of his personality. You get the feeling that Steve's a greedy, selfish egomaniac, It, but it didn't capture the person. The person I read about there, being the Isaacson book, is somebody I would never have wanted to work with over all this time. Life is too short. Hmm. That is really like a. It's a dagger through the heart of the Isaacson book. Like if, the, if that book wasn't already condemned, it is definitely condemned now. Um, but what what becoming Steve Jobs is saying in this is that um, this is what they go on to say. In saying this, Cook echoed the feeling of many after Steve many of Steve's close friends. In interview after interview, they complained that very little of what had been published offers any sense of why they would have worked so long and so hard for Steve. And so what Becoming Steve Jobs is saying is, look, these stories, these books you've heard of, of Jobs being a jerk to people, it's not the it's not the story, it's not the whole story at least. And what we're going to do is we're going to tell the soft gooey bits in the middle and like why somebody like Tim Cook would leave a profitable company and come to Apple that was dying and, and work for Jobs for 15 years. Um, and... That's fine, but if if you have the Apple CEO saying that, like, as a journalistic book, as a book written by reporters, you have biased it. You have introduced an outside force saying, you know what, this book is blessed, and by, you know, osmosis, everything we are saying in the book is blessed. And I think that's a little bit of a problem if you're approaching this book as a historical journalistic effort to document this man's life. Why? Um, I I don't know if I understand this as fully as you do because obviously you are a journalism person. <laughs> yes, that is that's what the degree says. Uh-huh. Um, and I know that like this might just be my own hangups, but if becoming Steve Jobs is not saying we are writing the definitive historical report of Steve Jobs' life, what they are saying is we or what they have done is we are writing a story with this lens with this message of you know what steve had a heart of gold michael you said it's much better than i thought of it and yes he was a jerk and yes this other stuff happened but underneath it all he was a good guy and what i really want and 
the book that has not been written yet is the historical, accurate, unbiased, like biography of Steve Jobs. And we don't have that because the Isaacson book was flawed and this book is flawed to a lesser extent, but in a different way. And maybe that's just my own hang up. I think some people share that thought. I think probably, I don't think you guys do. Um, but it's something to think about as you read this book, that this book is written for, with a certain point of view and a certain tone of voice that you should be aware of, you know, when you think about this book. Sure. Um, my kind of last meta point, and this is just mostly me just preaching, so you guys just Wait, interrupt me. I'll, I'll say something. <laughs> I think it, I, I was critical of it at the start because it, it does feel like the, these guys are going in with their agenda, but their agenda may be based in what they believe to be fact or fact. But I, I do come away from this book. I'm nearly finished. I've got about an hour left in the audiobook. I do come away from this book feeling vindicated. Like, I feel like the man that I look up to so much isn't as much of a tool as yes. he's been made out to be. Agreed. So whether he was or he wasn't, like I like that this book exists because I feel better. I, I agree. Actually, um I was talking to Mary about that. Um I was finishing the book and I was like, you know, it's sort of a weird thing to look up to uh, look up to Steve Jobs because, you know, a lot of people have the view and it's well-founded in places that Steve Jobs was kind of a word that if I said you would have to bleep it out on the podcast, right? And so I do appreciate that as a fan, as someone who looks at Steve Jobs as um, there, there are parts of his career, parts of his personality that I think are worth emulating. Uh, absolutely. It, it's nice to know that you're not following somebody or you know that you're aligning yourself with somebody who was a total jerk to people. Um, I think it's really, I think it's really solid point, Mike. You know, it's, it's interesting too. And you're not to this part of the book yet, but at the end of the book are all of the Apple executives are sort of grouped together at the end of the book. And it's, 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 you know, it's Tim Cook. It is, um, uh, Eddie Q, a couple others. There's not Phil Schiller. And it came out in that Gruber interview that they were, Apple allowed granted interviews for people who attended Steve's private burial, and Phil Schiller wasn't in that group, and and that was the dividing line somehow. And so that you know that he wasn't um, he wasn't allowed to uh, to to be interviewed. I will say that this is more of Eddie Q than we've ever seen. Like I know there's that funny picture of him at uh, being interviewed by Walt Mossberg and his shirts unbuttoned, but this is more <laughs> of Eddie Q than we've seen. And I was surprised. Um, yeah, I how, know what you're gonna say. How like powerful Eddie Q seems with an Apple, and Dude like is smart too. Yeah, because like. <laughs> you look at him, right? <laughs> like, so like Eddie Q drives a Ferrari, and he shows up with his button, his shirt unbuttoned. He's kind of sloppy, and it's easy to be like, ah, Eddie Q, like he's sort of a crazy uncle figure. But like, yeah, kind of like iTunes Music Store, Eddie Q's creation. Yeah, like, like not, not even so much like he was asked to do it. It's like he had an idea. <laughs> <laughs> and it became the iTunes Music Store, and, and it's like, oh, AT and T deal, Eddie Q. Like it's like, whoa, yeah, yeah he's a beast, and that's yeah. you know that <laughs> he's that's a real the, boss, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's sort of the fun part of this, like post Steve, like Cook, Open Apple. Of we're going to see some of those stories now, and there's, you know, there's more in this book about the iPod and iPhone or iPad and iPhone that we've ever seen before, but. You know, you hear names of engineers and people you haven't heard of before, but that really impressed me. That AT and T thing where he was like, "Hey, uh, we're gonna build a phone. We're not gonna show it to you. 
we're going to get a percentage of of your data of your data right. service charges, yeah, which they which <laughs> they have gotten rid of since, and I think it's why the pricing structure changed. But like, yeah, like Frederick, like you said, he's a boss, and that was a lot of fun to read. Of like, that dude is a machine, and and a very like, I don't know, like I always think EdQ is like not that important, but in reality, apparently, is very important to Apple's ongoing business. Mm-hmm. Um. And I, what I wish was in here was like the story of them buying Beats because I guarantee you Eddie Q played hardball. Like he well, was the guy who would like finish is, it. Is like Q does the did all the work and then like Jobs would come in and seal the deal. Like Jobs came into the AT and T thing and was like, "We want your date. We want part of the data stuff." Yeah, but like Q is the one who's going in. He's feeling everyone out. Like he's he starts these these things over and then it's like, "Yep." And then Jobs comes used to come in and like slam it down you know maybe that was when he wore the top hat do you remember that story yeah it's 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 really um it's something to you know that it happens right and you know that they cut a deal with at&t and you know that all these things happen but you're like oh yeah eddie was the guy who like sort of massaged things into place like it's it's pretty pretty interesting okay so my next section you guys will see in the document is steve jobs which uh, seems like, you know, he's one of my four topics for the book, but um, Steve Jobs is an individual. And really what I walked away with, and um, I want to see what you guys think about this, is that and there's even a quote uh, with Johnny Ive talking about about Steve giving feedback about sugarcoating the truth. And that if you do that, if you don't give brutal, honest feedback, not to be brutal, not to be a jerk, but you just strip it down to the raw honesty of the situation that that is what's important that you're doing a bigger respect to somebody of just telling the truth as opposed to like chucking and jiving and saying oh it's pretty good but what about this if you just get to the heart of it um you're showing them more respect and you're getting better work in the process and not to be a jerk just to be mean even though i think there's cases of that in steve jobs life but you come across as abrasive because you're stripping away that fluff that society wants you to put around truth. That's hard to swallow. Uh, what is that something that you guys think? Like I look at that and I admire that because it's, you know, a, everybody kind of wants to be a jerk. I think, I think a lot of people have that in them, including myself, but I look at it and I think, yeah, you know, that, that is kind of the way to handle things. Even though it might backfire sometimes like raw truth is raw honesty is the way to go. But, uh, how does that strike you guys? I I think it's incredibly hard to be able to do it and but I can see the benefit in everybody else like once you know that the person that you work for works in this way like I can see how it enables you to get work done faster. There's it, it eliminates an incredible amount of politics because everyone is being honest or at least he is being honest and then that allows you to be honest with each other as well because it's like but there's no point sugarcoating this there's no point dancing around like and and like beating the book beating about the bush about this sort of stuff let's just get things done mm-hmm. uh, yeah uh, but there's something I mean, about that which is great but go on federico you gotta be i'm sorry mike it's just you gotta be in the position to be able to, to you know to go on with your life like that because there's people who work day jobs and they just want to keep their jobs and they're not in the position to be jerks and totally. to not yep. sugarcoat stuff. Because at the end of the day, they're just be nice to people, keep your job, get them, you know, <laughs> get a salary at the end of the month and go home and enjoy the rest of your life because you're 
for most people, their job is not their life. So if you're in a creative controlling position, I guess, like Steve Jobs was, and if you can afford to live with the consequences of people thinking, oh my God, this guy's a jerk, good for you. I mean, uh, we saw how much this kind of, you know, way of living uh, ultimately was beneficial to Steve Jobs and to Apple because of this crazy creative process and to, you know, to get things done and to move forward. And that's great. Just most people don't need or want to, to do that. And, and I understand why. I mean, it's easier what you guys say to avoid all the politics and to go straight to the point and to be kind of direct to people to just say what you think without, you know, all the fluff. And that's great. But it's just most people want to avoid the problems that, you know, originate from this kind of behavior. They just want to be nice because it's easier and it makes you more comfortable. And it usually it lets you keep your job. <laughs> yeah. And you're right, like Jobs owned Pixar, you know, he was the CEO at Apple. So if I come into my job as sort of a middle manager type yeah. guy and I do that, like it's going to end poorly for me. I know because I've tried it and it is poorly for me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think this is one of the elements that changes um, as Jobs ages. And, and again, the book tells the story, but doesn't really back it up in places of he did that when he came back to Apple, right? He did that with with Ivy, did that with the design team, but maybe he filed the edge off a little bit of the the meanness of it. That you know you can do that, and if it's about the work, that's one thing. But if you make it about the person doing the work, like you know, Jobs made things personal in his first tenure at Apple, and that's really where you get into trouble, right? If you can say, well, your work is 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 poopy, but if you say you're a poopy person, different things. <laughs> um, Trying to keep myself from having yes. to sleep since I'm editing tonight. <laughs> um, and, and you know, multiple times in the book, it's, you know, I did the very best work of my life for Steve. You know, we as a team did the very best work of our lives for Steve. And, and clearly, if you can work in an environment with someone, you know, like what Tim Cook said, of who's not a jerk just to be a jerk, and you, you balance that with, like, brutal, like, uh, raw honesty, you know, Jobs eventually found that balance because he got people, you know, the people who who made the iPod and who did all these things, you know, built the iMac, they were the same engineers who were building Performas two years earlier that were really crappy. And Jobs inspired them and those, you know, they had new leadership, but the same people were doing that work. And so clearly people can respond and reverberate to that sort of feedback when done correctly. And I think that's really like looking at, at companies, you see like CEOs try to be like, oh, I'm going to be the Steve Jobs of X. It's like, well, that's f sort of silly. But if you're going to do that, like you have to get that balance of, you know, yes, I can, I can be really brutal in my feedback and I'm going to give you honesty without any of the fluff. But at the same time, I'm going to build you up and encourage you. I'm going to inspire you to do the best work. And I think a lot of leaders fall into one or two of those camps but not both. And I think that's where Steve Jobs lived as a manager later in his life was sort of doing both of those things. And that's what makes him a unique leader. Um, and, you know, in that, in this book is not an original thought to this book, but, you know, Steve's biggest legacy, Steve's biggest uh, creation, his biggest product is Apple itself. Um, you know, uh, this book talks a little bit about Apple University where, uh, Apple employees are taught like historical Apple stuff, not 
for the reasons I care about it, but like, these are the, the decisions that were made and these are the factors that went to those decisions. Like, um, you know, we could change on a dime when we need to because of these things. And, and Apple's trying very hard to keep the spirit of Steve Jobs alive in the company. Um, and I think that's really important. I think you see that in this book where, you know, he's at next and he's watching Apple from afar and yes, he's, he's taking jabs at them in the market, but then privately he's like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, this is going on. He comes back to Apple. It's six months before he does anything, right? His next employees are all running divisions within Apple, but Steve is outside of Apple sitting on his hands, trying to decide what to do. It's not until nine months later that he comes on his ICO and then, you know, nukes uh, Gil Emilio out of the water. You, you see that shift of that balance kind of coming into into play and, and jobs caring about Apple, not only as a family of products, but a product itself. And I think that's something that other leaders, businesses I've worked in, businesses that I see that I interact with, you know, you can get very down in the weeds in your product or your service and not... Uh, not pay attention to your culture or I think what Apple has is bigger than just culture. It is a, a way of thinking, a, a philosophy of, of work that jobs tried to, um, tried to pass on. I did, I did want to talk to you about the, the cancer thing. I mean, it's in this book. There's not a lot of new stuff in this book that wasn't in the Isaacson book. Um, the Isaacson book is really the first time you, you hear a lot of the story because in the outside is jobs took a couple of leaves of absences leaves of absence and he was kind of in and out and looked really unhealthy for a long time, looked really sick and then came back and had a little uh, spring in his step again. And then, you know, went downhill and from the outside, it was hard to tell what was going on. Um, this book does raise the question of like, should Steve have told people earlier? Should Steve have gotten treatment earlier? Um, he tried doing this holistic thing and then ended up, you know, being a more serious deal than, than he thought anyways. Uh, I don't feel comfortable, you know, passing judgment on Steve's decisions about his cancer. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe because I've had it in my own family for a long time now and everyone approaches that differently. Um, I don't know if you guys had any opinions on that. I, I don't feel like I could speak into his decision making there. I think the book does a pretty good job of um, treating that part of his life with respect of, you know, this was, they're not saying, hey, it was a bad decision or these were poor decisions, but these are the decisions he made with his family. And mm-hmm. for better or for worse, that's what happened. Um, well, personally, like, I I still have to reach this section of the book, but I'm familiar with the story. I can only say that I, during my, you know, my process of going through this stuff, I was offered to try, you know, this... Um, alternative solutions uh, um, instead of uh, traditional science and medicine. And my reaction was not exactly a good one. And the person who tried to um, poke my brain with this idea, I haven't uh, spoken to this person in four years. Um, So I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to comment on you know, it's it was Steve Jobs' decision, of course, and it's just I personally don't believe in this stuff. My reaction is always a bit um, aggressive when this sort of theme is brought up to me. Um, it was his de- decision, so it, I'm guessing, like you said, Stephen, it was made with his family. 
Um, personally, I don't think it's a smart choice, but you know, uh, people can do whatever they want with their lives. I think for me, any any like any feeling that I have or emotion that I have about that, it's selfish mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I didn't want him to die. Yeah. Like, I want him to still be around because I benefit from him being around. But he'd made a decision in his life which was like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and if it doesn't work, then then that's that because I don't want to do this. And they actually did a really good job in the book of explaining how a really invasive surgery for some people is something they just don't want. And Steve was took a lot of care of, him, of himself and didn't want people poking around inside his body. So he wanted to like exhaust other avenues before allowing that sort of stuff to happen. And it's like, again, like another one, it's like, okay, that is an, a different and interesting opinion, different to one that I've seen before. And that, again, like going back to what we were talking about earlier, where where the book can make some weird decisions in the way it tries to explain some of Steve's stuff, it actually also passes some interesting feelings that I hadn't thought of before, and that is one of them. Yeah, and, you know, he, he's he got the story of where he, um, you know, is showing off his scar <laughs> and saying, you know, this really was a big deal. Uh, I think that's a really a good point. And, Mike, you know, one that I have, have thought about but not in context of of jobs um really kind of what i want to leave this section with is steve's speech at stanford and um there's going to be a link you can read the transcript the entire transcript is in the book which i think is really great um they read it all out in the audiobook yeah i rewatched the video uh last night in fact frederick i think you and i were texting and i I always forget how powerful how powerful the speech is and obviously in hindsight it's tragic because we know that you know he's only got x number of years six years after this speech is given and he talks about death and um my favorite line is sometimes life hits you in the head with a brick don't lose faith (laughs) um it's just like super heavy duty but like that's i think that speech is printed in its entirety in this book and i think it resonates with us so well today 10 years later because this is the jobs that this book is portraying and it's the jobs that that we want to look up to of someone who's a little rough around the edges, there's stuff in the speech that's really hard and like kind of rough to listen to, but it's with that, that heart in the center of it and with a passion for people and a passion for the, um, for the very nature of life itself. You know, he talks about, um, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And when the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I changed something like such a, like compact statement that has a whole world of philosophy behind it is, uh, is pretty great, pretty powerful stuff. Um, I was, I was glad to see that made the book in its entirety. Cause I haven't, I haven't read that in years and it definitely like, I get choked up reading that, that speech, um, which, you know, maybe silly, but it's definitely something that happened to me reading it. <laughs> so looking at where we are now, do you think we should maybe hold some of this? Yeah. Let's tackle Pixar and Apple, uh, next week. And um, and uh, we'll we'll wrap this up. Yeah, because we're we're also gonna talk. We're gonna have Jason on next week, right? We're gonna talk about photos. Yes, should be fun. Yes, yeah. we need to kill Apple's service. We need to kill it. So we're gonna talk about it, and then it's gonna go away. <laughs> just before we end the show, uh, something yeah. that I just saw on Twitter that I'm about to retweet right now. 
Oh. Okay. Live so retweeting. This is this is we're doing it live. So there's people already in line to see the watch in Australia. To to see because you can't buy in person, right? Did we say that? You no, can only buy there's, online. There's people in line just to see the watch to try it on, I think. And there's a you can see TV crews. You can see cameras. You can see the Apple Store. So I just retweeted this, and yeah, there's people. But it's it's got to be like still eight hours away, though, right? I don't know. Uh, it's kind of uh, what time is it in Sydney? Uh, let's see. Um, because it's they're doing it the same time everywhere. Like the pre-orders. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're it's, putting them it's in the stores Pacific. No, it's uh, it's at midnight Pacific, but it's uh, 9 a.m. local times, I think. So it's 9 a.m. in Sydney right now, and I'm guessing that the Apple Store is about to open. So there's people, there's media. Um, oh, right. They're going to have them in the store, but they can't order them yet. But yeah. I guess the store, because I think it'll be like, I think it's like 5 o'clock or something, Sydney time, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But it makes sense, right? They're going to have them in the store today. That You just can't do nothing with them. But that makes sense. Right. I would be there. Like... Yeah, I have to. Uh, I was going to buy Apple Care Plus for my six plus, and I was going to do it this weekend because I'm going to be out where the Apple Store is. And I was like, "Yeah, that's probably a bad idea. <laughs> it's going to be busy." <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll pick up uh, the second uh, half of my rambling next week, and that'll give you guys time to finish the book because the Pixar and Apple relationship is really interesting. So we'll uh, we'll we'll dive back in next week. Yeah, some of the Pixar stuff is fantastic, but yeah, I want to finish it. I want to finish it. Cool. Great. So uh, I think that's about it for this week's episode. If you want to find our massive list of links, there's lots of stuff, lots of cool things in there this week. Go to relay.fm slash connected slash 34, or you'll find the links in your podcast app of choice. There's a couple of places you can find us online. If you'd like to find Stephen Hackett, he is at ISMH on Twitter and writes at 512pixels.net. Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he writes at maxstories.net, and I am iMike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. And I host many shows over at thegreatrelay.fm, which this show is a part of. That's our web address, relay.fm. If you'd like to go there, you can find out more about the great stuff that we have on offer. Thanks again to our sponsors this week, 1Password from Agile Bits. We also had Igloo and Wealthfront. And we'll be back next time. Until then, gentlemen, peace, say goodbye. Adios.